Good morning, church. I would tell you to open up your Bibles. Um, I'm just going to say grab them for now. We'll open them in a second. Um, I want you to sort of think back to camp. Okay? Think back to camp. Church camp is particular is, I guess, what I'm aiming for. So if you would, uh, raise, raise your hand for me if you've been to camp as a camper, a counselor, a staff member of some sort. Anybody ever go to camp? Raise your hand. Look around. A lot of hands up. That's awesome. You've all had great experiences, I hope. Uh, I'll never forget my uh, camp experiences. I've gone as a camper, as a counselor, as a speaker. Um, great moments, crazy moments, heart-changing moments, um, moments I would like to forget. One being in particular, uh, Miracle Camp. Uh, there was one year I went as a speaker. And they have cabin competition. Basically, if your cabin gets the most points in the week, at the end of the week, you get to choose a consequence for a counselor, a staff person, or even the speaker, if you want to. Okay? Well, I guess they wanted to pick on me because the winning team decided to give me one of the consequences. Now, it happened, like I think, maybe four or five different people. I was one of them. And you have to understand something about me. I don't like pickles, okay? Jenny loves pickles. I don't. Colin likes pickles. Carter doesn't. Clay loves pickles. So we're sort of split on that, okay? So at camp, it just so happened that the consequence given to me, the count camp cabin, they said, hey, we want Rex. All right, I go to, it was a five-gallon bucket of pickle juice dumped over my head. I smelled like pickles forever. I do not like pickles. It was horrible. I, I can't remember which one of my sons, because it was a long time ago. I think one of them cried for me. I mean, they were like, no, Dad. It was like they were burning me at the stake or something. I don't know. But might as well have been, because it smelled like pickles forever. But I will not forget that moment. But I will not forget all the more incredible moments. Kids giving their life to the Lord. Worship with the kids. The experiences around the campfire, the games, the laughter, the joy. Camp is an incredible time. And I'll never forget my first experience as a camper. I had to think back to this. It was, it was eighth grade. And I heard a speaker, uh, I'll never forget this, he's talking about loving God. And I thought, loving God? You know, here's the thing. I sat there, growing up in a church. Um, I have the whole understanding of what it means to be a Christian, right? From going to church and... Grandpa's a pastor, and, and Dad's an elder and deacon and everything else you could think of in the church. And I'm feeling like I'm all good. I'm a Christian, you know. But yet I was sitting there listening to the words of this speaker. I don't remember what he looks like. I don't remember who was sitting around me or my camp counselor. I just remember what he said. And it cut to my heart because he talked about loving God. I thought, loving God? He said this. He goes, do you love God? I had to think about it. Do I love God? Well, yeah, I love God. I go to church. I read the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And he kept asking that question. And I thought, do I love God? Or was I just doing things for God? Was I trying to live in a way that pleased God so that he wouldn't get mad at me? I mean, isn't that what we do sometimes? The authority figure? I don't want that authority figure mad at me. And I've watched my brothers, six, uh, six of us kids, five uh, 
four brothers, one sister. I watched them being the youngest, get in trouble with mom and dad and the consequences. I did not want to get in trouble. Okay. And I felt the same way with God. I don't want to get in trouble with God because, you know, he might punish me. But love God. How, how can I love a God who I can't see, I can't touch, I can't audibly hear? How do I love somebody like that? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Have you ever asked that question? Every Sunday you probably come in here, love God, love others. What does love God mean? I mean, really, what does that mean? What does that look like? Some people, he's my best buddy, my friend, my fatherly figure. Is he? What does that mean? Can I just sort of flippantly toss around his name and think of it as, it's just God, right? Or is it more than that? I was reading an email the other day, and, and this email was from one person to another. It wasn't to me. It was a shared email. And this is what was said. I want to read this to you. I was sitting at a sporting event when the lovely Christian lady beside me shouted, Oh my God, as her child made a mistake. I cringed inside, and then I wondered, Does she know? As a Christian, does she know? Does she know that the Bible tells us not to use God's name in vain? And I was reading that, and I thought, that's not unusual, right? It happens all the time. We hear Christians do this all the time. Wonderful people. We are, right? We obviously love the Lord. But yet, do we know that when we say that phrase, we're taking God's name in vain? Do we know that? Do we even know what take in vain means? I was like, I don't even know what take in vain means. We know not to use curse words. We know not to hurt people. We know not to cheat, lie, watch porn, hurt people, right? We know not to do all those things as Christians. But is this really a sin, just saying that? Are we so hardened to the use of God's name today in entertainment and phrases and texting OMG that we have forgotten about the holiness of God's name? We don't even know that we're even doing it because it's just so part of the culture, right? Not to take God's name in vain comes from commandment. One of the Ten Commandments, the third of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're not supposed to use God's name as a curse word. We're not to use his name lightly, like a common word, as if it's just worthless. God has all worth. God has all value. And his name holds that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. So when we pray, we pray addressing God's name as being holy and sanctified. If we study who God is, we understand that it's a bit more than a grave sin. It's, his name is holy. He is holy. Our Father who are in heaven. Hallowed, holy is your name. Your name is set apart from every other name. And he's so much more than that. What is God like? We can start throwing all kinds of attributes and, and adjectives to describe God out there, right? And that's just a short list we throw up on the screen there. So much more that we could talk about God, the one who made a way for us to be reconciled to his Holy Son, Jesus Christ. 
And if he's so awesome, and if he is so wonderful, which he is, then why is it so important for us not to use his name when we're angry or upset or surprised? So this person, I'll finish the email. person went on to say this. I'm not writing this to point a finger or to make you feel guilty. Quite honestly, I've personally believed for a long time that I probably shouldn't even say, oh my gosh. It's obviously a sadly disguised copy of the original, and yet I still struggle with it. You'll still hear that come out of my mouth on occasion, they said. I can relate to that email, couldn't you? Language is such a hard thing to change. We get angry, we get surprised, we get upset, and next thing you know, something's coming out of our mouth, and we don't think about it at first. Maybe we think about it later, or maybe nobody's ever told us that. We need to think more about what comes out of our mouths. We need to think more about the words we use. If we are redeemed people, our souls saved by the grace of God, then all of life should be intentionally lived to please our Heavenly Father, to worship Him. And how we live is an act of worship. How we talk is an act of worship. And using God's name in vain or any form is offensive to a holy God who saved us. So let's remember this. I share this oftentimes with a lot of people that I work with, athletes, coaches, whoever uh, that I'm working with. I always tell them, belief dictates performance. What you believe will translate out onto the field, out onto the court. If you don't think you're a good person, you're a good player, then you're not going to perform very well. That's just the way it works. But where do we learn this? From sports? No, we learn it from God's Word. And it just translates into life. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. First book in the New Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to start. I know it says I put verse 18 up there. I want to actually back up to verse 16. So Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 16, Jesus is having this conversation with these Pharisees, these religious leaders that have been picking on him and his disciples, and they're sort of complaining about what and what his disciples did and did not do before they ate. But that makes you clean or unclean. This is what Jesus said in verse 16. Don't you understand, Jesus asked them? Anything you eat passes through the stomach, goes out of the body. But evil words come from an evil heart and defile the person who says them. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all other sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands can never defile you and make you unacceptable to God. He's letting us know, listen, it's not about what's going on on the outside. It's about what's going on on the inside. On the outside, is easy to see. We go to church. We read the Bible. We memorize verses. We say things to, nice, to other people, usually nice people, right? We don't say nice things to bad people because we don't want to, right? We do all the good things on the outside. We post inspiring messages. We maybe say the salvation prayer 20 times and recommit our lives over and over at every camp and event and moment, right? But what about the inside? We take God's word for truth, right? We trust him. And we do what Christians do and don't do. And growing up, I worked 
to earn God's love. I worked hard to earn God's love. Doing all the Christian stuff, right? And I didn't want to mess up with my walk with Jesus because I thought God would be mad at me. I don't want God mad at me, so don't do the bad stuff, right? I was living out my faith for the wrong reasons. I call that bad theology. And then you combine that with questions of doubt. We all have doubt, right? If you've never doubted God or the things of God, then you're probably lying to me right now because we all, at some point in time in our life, question God, question what happened with God, where, God, I don't understand, I don't, I don't get it, why? And we, we probably have doubt, right? I've discovered that when doubt occurs, it basically distorts our view of a holy God. Listen very carefully to that. See, when, when divorce, death, pain hits our world, we stand confused. We say, I thought God was loving and powerful. So why did he allow this to happen? You see, our understanding and knowledge of God will either catapult or crash our faith. What is our view of God? We have all these things about him, right? And then, boom, crisis hits and we doubt, we question. You know, people send me emails and text messages with all kinds of questions about life, how to deal with life. Love it. Continue to send those. Ask me. Um, call me. Talk to me. Email, text, whatever. Um, and I try to do this. I try to give you the best godly advice I can give you. So whatever your question is, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, here's what I believe, what I know to be true. But here's what I want you to understand. You're on a journey right now. And you can't do it alone. You need God. You need a daily dose of God's word and time and prayer with him. You need to weekly gather in community and worship God. If you are not having a daily dose of God's word and time with him, and if you're skipping church uh, every other week or you don't want to gather with other people and worship, I can't help you and neither can God. You've disconnected yourself from the one who can help you, and that's God. Daily dose, weekly worship, those are the kind of things that will help you on your journey. Are those the only answers? No, but those help. I'm stronger now and I have a better understanding of who God is. I'm committed to journey with God. I'm seeking to grow. I do not want to be stagnant in my life. But I'm on the journey with you. I'm on the journey with you. And part of our journey as believers in Christ is to seek God with everything we have. To discover his holiness and to realize that he is God, we are not. That's a tough one. Because we want to be in control, we want to be God. So we have to ask, what is God like? What are his attributes? You say God is holy, what do you mean by that? Although there's, there's so much to know, we could spend a lifetime discovering things about God, right? But there's, there's three major things about God, uh, attributes that I want to share with you real quick. First of all, he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 139. Old Testament, right in the middle. Psalm 139. God knows all things. As we read this, you might read it slowly. You might want to mark it. Come back to this. Let's start in verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. Okay, stop right there. This is going to sum up the whole chapter. That one verse alone. 
You know everything about me. Now let's read on verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my every thought when far away. Oh boy. I don't like my own thoughts sometimes. Sometimes some of us share our thoughts and we should not. You know, like, was I, did I say that? Or was I thinking that? You just said it. You probably shouldn't have said it. You probably shouldn't have thought it. We've all been there, right? We say things and we think things we shouldn't. God knows it in our minds before we even concoct up the idea. He knows it's coming. It came. He knows it. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Verse 3. You can chart the path ahead of me. Tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Oh, the things we say, and God knows it's coming before it even leaves our mouth. Wouldn't it be awesome if God was like, okay, I'm going to help you out with this one. I know what you're going to say, so I'm just going to wipe off your mouth off your face. And then, and then the mouth is gone. You know, you're, you're getting ready to talk to somebody, and all of a sudden, they're like, and then boom, their mouth disappears. Like, ooh, that's weird. You're like an alien, right? Somebody just, you know, took your mouth. Oh, you're going to say something bad, and God wiped your mouth off your face. I get it. And then, but here's the thing. Before you could even say that, your mouth just probably got wiped off too, okay? So that's probably why God didn't create that mechanism, okay? But he knows what's going to come out of our mouth before we say it. He is omniscient. He knows all these things. Here's the second thing. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Psalm 139, go up to verse 7 now. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. He is everywhere. You want to play hide and seek with God? You can. He's already there with you. He wins every time. You can't get away from him. He knows everything. He's everywhere. And here's the third thing. He's all power. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Job 37.5 says this. God's voice is glorious in thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. Psalm 77 verses 13 to 14 said, Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. I love this one. Psalm 89, 7. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. We can't even imagine what the throne of God looks like or God who sits on that throne. But everybody in the throne room doesn't even compare to God. He's awesome and holy, all-powerful. And here's the thing, we know this from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, that you want to know what God is like in the New Testament? You look at his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. I heard a, a pastor one time say, the Bible's like a bow tie. It starts off wide from the prophets and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, all the way moving towards Christ, the knot in the middle, who came to save us, redeem us, resurrected from the dead, and then from Jesus, it goes out from the apostles and disciples to today. What a beautiful way to look at the Bible, right? So when you want to know what's going on in the Old Testament, you're going to see it in the New Testament as well. And God's knowledge, presence, and power is seen in the New Testament through Jesus. Jesus, we see his omniscience in Mark chapter 2, verse 6. 
when he said some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive them. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and he asked them this. Why do you question with this in your hearts? I love it. They were just thinking it. Jesus knew it. Why? Because he's all-knowing. Oh, and he's, he's omnipresence was seen in the healing of the royal official's son who was 20 miles away from Jesus and the royal official as they were having this conversation. Please heal my son. Do you have faith? Yes, I'll heal your son. Boom, his son was healed 20 miles away. It's omnipresence is incredible. Oh, and his omnipotence, where do you start? With Jesus. Calming the storm. John chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It is his knowledge, presence, and power, I believe, that attracts us to God. But God is more than all those three things that we just talked about. God is holy. He is holy. Throughout the scriptures, we see prophets, righteous kings, patriarchs, disciples, all proclaiming that God is holy. They all proclaim what is written in Isaiah. Isaiah 6.3 says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? Holy means to be, to be marked off. To be withdrawn from common use. It means to be separated. This is no longer common. I'm marking off. It is separated because it is special. It is one of a kind. Nothing compares to it. It is holy. It was used for objects or places that were set aside for worship. So holy gives us this idea of separation and distinctness from, from ordinary and common to greatness, to use. And God is holy. God is holy. He is separated from all things. God is holy. No one is like him. God is holy. Moses declared in Exodus fifteen eleven, Who is alike you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? Isaiah forty twenty five says, To whom will you compare me? Who's my equal? Ask the Holy One. You see, there's nobody like God in the universe. There's no one. No one can give him counsel. Who told God how to create the world? No one. No nation can overcome him. Psalm 99 is up on the screen for you to read. Psalm 99, 1-3 says, The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all nations. Let them praise your great and your awesome name. Your name is holy. It's hard to wrap our minds around this word because we use it so frivolously today. I'm a Cubs fan. Holy cow, right? We throw holy out there with everything and we put a word behind it. It's usually sometimes good, sometimes not good. And we just use that word holy as if it's nothing. So for me to tell you that God is holy, that holy part probably isn't clicking so much because we use that word so flippantly and frivolously. We use the word awesome, maybe, now to describe something that's pretty incredible, right? Let me help you with this. So if you're a football fan and your favorite running back bursts through the offensive line and spins off of a defender and then sprints 50 yards into the end zone, you're like, that was awesome! Or maybe you're in your car and you're driving, you're on vacation, you go through a tunnel and you come out of the tunnel and there's the Rocky Mountains and you look and you see, this is awesome! 
Or maybe you're at a concert and, and you're talking, maybe uh, you've heard an orchestra like you've never heard before, and you get done playing, like, oh, that was awesome. Or maybe when your child was born, your firstborn, I'll never forget, you know, it's like, you know, those babies are born and they come out like, this is awesome. Or the power of a storm. You look out the window and in the dark clouds and the wind's blowing, the blades of grass are, are being bent over and the trees are, are shaking and you, and you whisper a little prayer to God and then you're like, this is awesome. See, that's what I'm talking about. God is a holy God. He is an awesome God. It takes your breath away. We know that God is all-knowing. We know he's all-present. We know he's all-powerful, Right? But when you add holiness to his power or to his knowledge and presence, that changes everything. See, to have all the power is dangerous, right? But to have holy power is a lot different. If his power is holy, or if it weren't holy, it'd be terrifying. Christian songwriter and uh, singer Rich Mullins wrote a song called Awesome God. Now, if you remember Rich Mullins in those good old days, Christian music, when there was like about 10 Christian artists, okay? He was one of them. He wrote the song Awesome God, and it wasn't an instant hit. I'm sorry, it was an an instant hit. And it reminds me um, that God is no man upstairs or no man in a rocking chair. That's not God. I'm going to put the lyrics up on the screen because I'm going to spare you my singing it. But let me read this part of the lyrics to you. When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. Our God is an awesome God. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. And it wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close. So you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Some of you right now, you're starting, you're moving into the chorus, aren't you? Yeah, He goes on to say later in the song, I hope that we've not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. Church, have we forgotten that God is a holy God? There's a movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Great action-packed movie, right? Some of you may be fans of it. First of the Indiana Jones movie with character with uh, Harrison Ford. He played the role of a professor of archaeology. Always going on these expeditions and crazy adventures, right? Um, and he happened to have this sense for treasure hunting. In this movie, he's looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And it was built during the time of Moses, the Ark of the Covenant. And he's looking for it. But here's a problem. The German Nazis are also a regime. They're also looking for it as well. So, of course, Indiana Jones wants to find the Ark for historical value. The Nazis want to find it for power because whoever has the Ark has control and power, right? Well, the movie contains a lot of narrow escapes and action and, and adventure, and eventually Indiana Jones finds the Ark. Unfortunately, the Nazis also find Indiana Jones and the Ark. So at the climax of the movie, the Nazi officer, he approaches the Ark to open it. Hungry for power, of course. Eager to see what's in the Ark, he opens the Ark and discovers that he's made a terrible mistake. A host of destroying angels stream out from the Ark of the Covenant and they wipe out all the Germans except for Indiana Jones and the beautiful girl because they're the stars, right? They didn't look at the Ark. Hollywood at its best, right? Well, here's the thing. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 4, there's a story about the Ark of the Covenant. Just like that one. Well, sort of. The Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, who were the enemy of God's people. It had become a real problem for them. A plague broke out in this, in this Philistine camp. And so they said, we've got to send it back to the Israelites. Let's get it out of here. It's not as powerful as we thought. Actually, it was powerful because we're all sick with this plague. So they made uh, an, uh, I'm sorry, a cart to put the ark on. They made these little, um, uh, little god-type worship idols to put on the cart as well. Hooked them up to a couple cows and sent them off. They believed this. Hey, if it's God's ark, it's, the cows will know right where to go. Sure enough, the cows ended up heading back to the land of the Israelites. And when the people saw the ark coming, they were filled with joy. They were fired up. It's like the ark of the covenant is returning. There's nobody bringing it except those two cows. They broke up the wooden cart. They killed the cows. They sacrificed the cows on top of the fire. And they made a sacrifice to the Lord. But however, don't miss this next part. Let me read from 1 Samuel 6, verse 19. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God. They cried out. Where can we send the ark from here? Just like the movies. Sort of, right? They they wanted to look in the ark. Pushed it back. God wiped out 70 just like that. Why? Because they treated the ark like something that was trivial. This was God's representation of his presence, his holiness. What was holy, they treated as trivial. And God said, you've forgotten. I'm a holy God. I've given you the rules about this, right? God is morally pure and without the stain of sin. 1 John 1, 5 tells us this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, no darkness in him at all. And it's because God is holy and there's no sin in him. He hates sin. Proverbs 15.9 says, The Lord detests away the wicked, but he loves those who pursue godliness. Have we forgotten that God is a holy God and he does not like sin? Charles Colson said this, We need to know the fear of the Lord. The overwhelming, compelling awe, reverence of a holy God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It provides the right perspective on God's sovereign rule over all creation. The sense of God's power and perfection that dwarfs mere men and women. That cause them to bow and worship in the glory of his amazing presence. Describing the holiness of God is a hard thing to do. And I felt months ago we need to talk about the holiness of God. If we are his people, we worship a holy God, do we understand what it means to worship a holy God? We say, love God, love others. How do you love God when you can't see, touch, smell, hear him, right? Got to figure that one out. It starts to understand that he is a holy God. Years ago, we took a small group of high school students uh, out west to discover the creation of God's beauty. We compared it with the evolutionary theories and God's creation, and obviously God's creation always went out over those evolutionary theories, right? But it was a remarkable trip, but it included climbing Mount Rainier. That was uh, one of our tasks while we were out there in the state of Washington. The scenery was spectacular for the climb, okay? 
as difficult as it was to lead um, our, our opportunity to view something beautiful, it was also deadly. You see, Mount Rainier sits, well, I should say Seattle sits outside Mount Rainier. It's also an active volcano. If Rainier were ever to blow, which it could, Seattle's gone, everything around it's gone, right? That's a little scariness, right? The mountain is one of the tallest in the continental United States. It stands mighty and grand, but it also is a mountain where people die every year when they climb. Every year. So as we stood at the base camp and we looked up on this mountain that we were about to climb, I felt puny compared to that mountain. That mountain was so majestic looking, so awesome to see, so incredible. It was breathtaking and scary at the same time. And like God, we're fearful of him, but yet we're drawn to him. Like God, he is breathtaking and also to be feared. That's a holy God. So when you are in nature and you see something that's breathtaking, a sunrise, a sunset, the ocean, the mountains, whatever it may be, it's beautiful in one sense, but it's also dangerous in another. And seeing the holiness of God is that way. It causes us to fall on our knees. It causes us to, to bow. It causes us to raise our hands. That's what will happen when you grasp hold of the holiness of God. There's no possible way we can sing about the holiness of God and just be kicking back. Oh, it's We're here worshiping God. Then you have no clue what the holiness of God is. You maybe don't like to sing. I get that. But you can stand in awe of like, God is awesome. He is holy. And maybe we have no words, or maybe we have a lot of words to sing to him. Either we're worshiping God or we're playing church. And I hope we are worshiping God. David said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you would care for them? When we see God's power, his creation at work, we are standing in holiness. David didn't have the scientific terminology or the facts about the universe. All he had to do was look outside and realize God is big. God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God is present everywhere. He is awesome. He is holy. Set apart from all others. If you're still at Psalm 139, look with me, verses starting 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, God. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Listen to this. If you doubt God's love for you right now, please listen to this next verse. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They are innumerable. I can't count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. You have a God who loves you and thinks of you more than the grains of the sand on this planet. I would encourage you sometime to 
look up Job chapter 38, 39, and 40. 38 and 39 is, Job went through a lot. And he got to the point where he finally said, all right, God, I am a little upset with you with everything that's happened. And God goes, oh, okay. Now let me ask you some questions, Job. And he just rattles off question after question after question after question after question. Job, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Who laid the foundations of the earth? Hey, who set the boundaries on the ocean, how far the water can come up? Who did that? Did you do that? God goes on for two chapters. And finally, chapter 40, Job's like, I put my hand over my mouth, God. You are all powerful. You are holy. You did all this. When we stop and look at creation, God's work, the work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, the presence of God's spirit, all we can do is cover our mouths and worship him because he is holy. Worship team, would you please come forward? As they're coming forward, church, listen very carefully. Don't check out here as they're walking up, okay? If we don't understand the holiness of God, we won't understand why we should live in holiness. Why should I live the way I live for Jesus? If you understand who he is, who God is, and his holiness, we won't understand why we should be living this way. His promises won't make sense if you don't know his holiness. If you don't grasp his holiness, doubt will grab you and snatch you like it is most of our high school and college age students who go off to school or go off somewhere else and they throw away whatever they believed in. They don't go to church anymore. They come away with all this crazy thinking. Let's just go live like the world. Why? Has doubt entered their life and distorted their view of God's holiness? We have to grasp a clear view of the holiness of God so that our worship is enhanced. You know, as I was working on this message, um, I was sitting there going, maybe I can come up with a little bit more um, stories or resources to tell you about the holiness of God. And I was like, okay, there's got to be fun. I'm on a computer. Boom, the computer went off. And it just sort of crashed. I was like, oh, man. Laptop, boom, that shut off. Both computers shut off on me. And it was like God was saying, shut it down, Rex. You don't need technology or somebody else's story to enhance my holiness. You just need me. Step outside. Go look at my creation. Open up my word. Read about my truth. Close your eyes and just meditate on my word. Talk to me in prayer. Let me talk to you. Get intimate with God, church. Get intimate with the holy God who loves you. You want to know what his holiness is like? You got to get intimate with him. You got to get alone with him. You got to get quiet with him. Put away the distractions. Social media, shut her down. TV, turn it off. If you're struggling, get intimate with God. That distorted view of holiness needs to be cleared back up. See who God is. It is awesome power and holiness. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and holy God. You are mighty. In so many ways, we can't even describe and put into word. So sometimes we may just stand here and not say anything because we don't know what to say. 
And other times we can't say enough and we want to sing every word. So God, whether we have something to say or not, let it all be directed towards you. You are a holy God. And God, when we speak of you, may we use your name in a proper way. And when we think of the word holy, let us understand what holy means. May these words and your truth, who you are, change the way we live. So people will see that we serve and worship the holy God. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now with all of our heart and soul and mind. In the name we pray. Amen.